Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to look at your word. We ask you to bless this time and, and teach us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Micah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil, from which they shall not remove their neck, neither shall they go shall you go haughtily for this time is evil in in that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say we be utterly spoiled he has changed the portion of my people how has he removed it from me turning away he has divided our field we're going to stop there at verse 4 for now so here we have the Micah continuing with the prophecy of God, and he, and he says, "Woe, or alas, you know, you know, there's trouble coming to those that devise iniquity." And this word for devise is that idea of contemplating and thinking about. One of the things at the prison I was told that these guys have time on their hands and they just think about how they're going to work people and, and what they're going to say when they do said, you know, when they do this, they're going to say this. And they, and they work it over there in their minds over and over and over again. And this is what that's talking about, devising iniquity. They're planning it over and over in their minds. And it says, you know, and work evil upon their beds. Now, this doesn't mean that they're actually doing it. This is when they're thinking about it. And going over, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to, you know, and they just think it over and over and over. And this is where Jesus said, that we, you know, that out of the abundance of our heart, we do things or we speak, we speak or we do things. And it is very true. If, when somebody speaks, there's something in it that is true. When people make fun of people, and, and a lot of times they'll tease somebody and they'll say, well, it's just in fun. Well, Usually, and it may be in fun, but there's some core of truth in that teasing that, that is not fun, because otherwise they wouldn't do it. You know, you're enjoying something about it. Uh, and so this is what he's talking about. These people that just lay around, you know, they're in bed all night or they're lying around thinking, what can I do? And we've been around people like that that seem to do that, and they might even talk about it. You know, and they might even do it in, in jest. Uh, the other day, the other day, this one inmate saw a stack of mattresses. He says, "I needed, I need a thicker mattress." Next thing I know, he's he's picking up a mattress and leaving the building. And we're having to chase him down. Like, what are you doing? And uh, but it, he was devising it in his mind, and then he acted on it. Uh, and so we see this kind of stuff going on. And this is what God says: "Woe to them, because in the morning, when it is light, they practice it." When we contemplate, when we think about things, we end up doing them. And this is true of any sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. And these particular sins he's talking about is against others. But it happens even if you're into alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, you start thinking about it. How am I going to get that next drink? You know, do I have enough money in the bank? You know, how can I get the money? How can I manipulate somebody into giving me the drink or, or the drugs or whatever it takes? Mine yeah. is cigarettes. <laughs> cigarettes, you know. Uh, but it, and it can be... People that are into pornography will eventually start acting it out. 
you know, in, so all, all sin is what you think about, you end up doing something about. And here God is saying they practice it because it's in their power. You know, they, they decide that, hey, I can do this. You know, I can get away with it. And he says they covet fields and they take them. Yeah, they take them by force. They covet, they covet houses and they take them. And we've, we've seen in the news these kind of things where people take things. They maneuver. Uh, when we look back at uh, Je- Jezebel and Ahab, how they wanted, Ahab wanted a field, so Jezebel got it for him. You know, she had lies made up against the, against the owner and had him killed, and, and the government took his field. <laughs> you know, and we see this kind of stuff happening all through scriptures and in real, real life, and we see it happening all the time. Somebody wanting something, if they're powerful enough, rich enough, or strong enough, they take it. And they manipulate the laws if they have to. They, you know, they do whatever it takes. And God says, it's in their hand. They covet it. And they oppress man and, and his house. And they take even their heritage, you know, take, take things of value away from them. And it says, therefore the Lord says, behold, this family, I Against this family, I do devise evil. So God says, okay, you want to be devising evil? I will devise evil against you. And, you know, you don't want God devising evil against you. When God starts coming, turning against you, you're in trouble. Because his plans always come to fruition. And he's got enough power to make anything happen. And this is what I told, this is why we've been talking so much in, 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 particularly Psalms, because the first half of Psalms had so much of this, God is our defense. If we rest into him, he will devise evil against the, the uh, enemy. I shared this with somebody just the other day. They were having a really hard time at work. You know, people were mistreating them. I'm going, relax, let God be your defense and God will take care of them. And, very, you know, and yes, that's easy to say and harder to do. But when we get in those places, and we're going to be in those places where God's going to say, are you going to want to defend yourself, or are you going to let me defend yourself? And most of the time, our first inclination, because our flesh is to try to defend ourselves, Always. They hurt me, I'm going to make sure they pay. And especially the, 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 if you're able to, if you have any kind of power to make them pay, you want to go, oh, God, I'm going to make sure they do something. I'm gonna. I'll start a rumor, whatever it takes to get them ruined. I wanna. I wanna do. And God is saying, I will take care of it. And here's another one of those examples. God says, they want to devise evil. I'll devise evil against them. And it says, from which they shall not remove their neck, neither shall they go haughtily, for the time is evil. When God decides to move, there's no turning away. They're not going to escape. And this is something that we see over and over. And I've seen this happen in my lifetime. Where God, when God starts devising evil against somebody because of their actions and because of their unrepentant heart, things happen. In, Genesis, in Exodus, we read about how the children of Israel took, you know, came into the Promised Land. Well, by Deuteronomy, they came into the Promised Land. What, what was their purpose? They were actually the tool that God used to judge the Canaanites and the Pezites and all the other ites that were in that land because of their sinful nature that they had not repented for them for 430 years. You know, and God is very quick in his judgment. He took 430 years to decide to judge them. And so we see this happening in people that you know, God will say, repent, <laughs> repent, 
repent or you're not going to repent, okay, <laughs> here's the punishment. And this is his, what he's saying. The punishment comes. And when, when, when God starts, they're going to be punished. And he's given them plenty of time. And that should be something scary even for us. If we don't want to repent from whatever it is that God's telling us to stop, then eventually a judgment will fall. And when that judgment falls, it will fall completely. And he'll say, okay, now is not the time to repent. You know? and, that's, and that goes down to the story. You know, when people say they're sorry, usually they're sorry not because they're sorry, but they're sorry they got caught. <laughs> and so once the judgment, once he starts dropping the hammer, there's no repentance because at that point it's, I'm sorry I got caught, God. Okay, you know, you're starting to punish me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's going to say, too late. Just as he will at the White Throne Judgment. At the White Throne Judgment, people are going to be going, I'm sorry, I want to accept your son. Nope, too late, as they're headed into hell. And they're going to know that they're there for the, because of what they have done. And so we look at this, and he says, they won't, they won't go haughtily, for this is evil. In that day shall one take up the parable against you and lament a doleful lamentation and say, you be utterly spoiled. He has changed the portion of my people. How has he removed it from me? Turning away, he has divided our field. Utterly spoiled. He's removed everything. When God moves, he, he removes all that they have. And I've seen this happen to people. I have seen this in my lifetime where people have not repented and God's moved against them. And I've watched them lose their family, their health, their, their possessions. You know, and all of this is to get them to finally truly repent. And not just repent because they're sorry they got caught, but truly come to the place where they'll repent or die and, and, and be punished. And this is a sad place to see somebody in. When you really care about people, you don't want to see this happen, and yet God will do it if they don't change. And when God moves, it is so sad to watch these people, and you just you pray for them, you talk to them, you comfort them as best you can, but you've, they've got to get to the place where they'll repent. So the moral of this story is, when we do wrong, repent quickly. Get, the, get, get repented before things happen and let God cover it with the blood of and Christ. You mean it when you repent? You have to repent. You have to honestly, repent. Honestly. You have to repent. It has to be honest. And he says that you know, he has removed from me, turning away, he has divided our fields. And this is literally, he's taken away everything that they took by force. You know, it talked about them taking everything, and now God's taken it away from them. And we see this, and this is why it's important for us to look at when people, when we think people are getting away with something, they're never going to get away with it. For long for long and at worst case they're going to get judged and judged by God at, at the end but we've always got to remember God has not closed the books ever until the white throne judgment we keep thinking well they're getting away with it they're getting away with it and we don't know really we don't know what they really are we don't know how much God is putting on their heart and making them guilty and condemning them and and trying to draw them to him until something happens that we see it and this happens over and over. People seem to get away for, with something for years and years and years and years. And again, I go back to the children of Israel coming into the, the promised land. And you know, they, that, those people had 430 years. That was multiple generations that, that were living under the, that lifestyle before God judged them. And if you had been sitting back at the beginning, you're going, boy, these guys are getting away with all, you know, disobeying God all over the place. And you, and you go through four, five, six, seven, <laughs> eight generations going, aren't these people ever going to be judged? And God's saying, it's coming. Their judgment's coming. 
just wait. And we look at it today, you know, how bad the world's getting, how evil the world's getting, and it seems like people are getting away with so much disobedience to God and not getting judged. And yet when you really start talking to some of these people that are out there, most of them are totally unhappy. Even people who seem to be rich and taking advantage of people, you know, God's not allowing them to enjoy the stuff that they think would, would have made them enjoy life. And eventually, they're either going to lose it all or die and, and be judged for all the, all the activity they did. So we just need to learn to relax and say God's in control and he's going to make things happen the way they're supposed to happen. You know, we need to start minding our own business more anyway, you know, because so many times we're going, well, so-and-so's got this and so-and-so's doing this, and, you know, and God's saying, why is it your problem? Yeah, you know, why do you care? Why is it your problem that they're doing, doing this or that, or you think they're getting away with this? It's important for us just to lay back and say, God, you're, you're in control. <laughs> because who are they sinning against? Ultimately, they're sinning against God. Even if, they, even if we think they're hurting us, their sin is still against God. When David prayed after, the, after Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, his prayer was, against you and you only uh, sinned God. Now, he'd already hurt two other people minimally, much less their, their families and all of that. But his prayer was, God, it was you that I, that I sinned against. And we've got to remember that anytime somebody's doing wrong, the one they're really hurting is God. And God will only put up with it so long before he steps up and says, okay, I've had enough. Now his, his patience is a lot more than ours usually. But even there, the Holy Spirit is working on those people. We may not know it, know it, we may not see it, but the Holy Spirit is working on them and convicting and making them miserable <laughs> until they decide to change. Verse five, therefore, you shall have none that shall cast a cord by the lot of the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy you not, say, say they do them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them, that they shall not take shame. O you that are named of the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walks uprightly? So here he's saying, they shall not have any that will cast the cord in the congregation of the Lord, and that is to measure. They're not going to be able to measure up to God's people. You know, they're not going to be able to say, well, I'm better than this, I'm better than that. And this is where, we're, where we need to keep in mind. God's standard is totally different than, and this is true when you're talking to people that are sinning, how often you could give them God's word and it's like talking to a stone wall. You know, you're wasting your breath. You're wasting your breath and you're really not to tell, you know, they, they're not to hear anything good anyway because they're not going to be blessed for what they're doing because they're not in a position to receive blessing. So they're not truly going to be blessed. And here he's saying, don't prophesy. Number one, don't measure, don't measure one another against each other. And how many people do we meet that will tell us, well, I'm not doing anything, you know, I'm better than most people. Yeah, I love, I love it at the prison. These guys will talk about how good they are and how they really don't deserve to be in prison because they weren't really that bad. I had one person tell me that he's in prison not because he was dealing drugs, but, but his best friend turned him in. Okay, he goes, I'm in prison because my best friend turned me in. I go, you weren't doing anything wrong? He goes, no. I go, well, what did he turn you in for? Selling drugs. I'm going, but you weren't wrong for selling drugs. No, no. I wouldn't have got caught if it wasn't for my friend. Yeah, so that person in his mind is concocted this story to him that he is an innocent man 
who got turned in by somebody else. But we see this so often, but we also do the same thing. We tend to do this type of stuff ourselves even. You know, I'm not all that bad because look at this. There's so many people more evil than I am. And God is saying to us, you know, all it takes is one sin to be out of fellowship. And that doesn't even have to be what we would call a big sin. Just any sin will keep us out of fellowship with God. And when we keep that in mind, we'll stay humble. And we'll stay kind to others who have bigger problems, you know, that we would say have bigger problems because we could have been there. We could have been there. And, and even our little, whatever we consider little, is, can keep us away from fellowship with God just as easily as their big sin, you know. And God doesn't justify those in those ways. He says it's sin. I feel sorrowful for them living in a lifestyle that is contrary to God. But I do the same thing to myself for all the different things that I do that are contrary to what God wants me to do. And I've got plenty of areas in my life that I have to weed out. So why am I going to be busy worrying about other people? Because when you start worrying about other people, what you're really saying is my problems aren't that, that big a deal. I've got to worry about all these other people. I have more than enough problems of my own to deal with. I don't have to try to live other people's lives. If you're going to preach the word of God, you're going to offend people just the way it is because you're going to step on somebody's toes somewhere. And that's one of the reasons I like going verse by verse through the books. That way people don't feel like I'm picking on them on purpose. They go, if they're honest with themselves, it's if I step on their toes, it's because it's the next verse of the Bible. And it may step on their toes, but it's what God says. Okay, it's not like I picked a verse out to preach at them. And so I, that's why one of the reasons I like, because I, and the other thing is I want everybody to understand the whole word of God, not just a few favorite passages. Because a lot of times in churches you get somebody that pre preaches on topics and they preach on topics they like and they get on the verses they like and they kind of ignore the verses that they don't like. Because when I preach, there's times when I'm preaching to myself as well because the verse talks about things that I have a problem with. I'm going, oh, okay, we've got to talk about this one. <laughs> and now I'm preaching to myself, not to anybody else. You know, I'll get to just listen as I teach myself. But this is the way God is. He says, and here he's saying, Prophesy not, and say not to them that prophesy, you shall prophesy that they shall not take shame or reproach. He's saying, be honest. Don't bend your message with them. And this is Micah giving the warning to those who claim to be prophets. Don't soften the message to be popular. And when we read Kings and Chronicles and various other places, we see the, the prophet of God having to go against other prophets who aren't prophesying according to God and you know, giving them all these messages and saying, hey, everything's going to be good, O king. God's going to deliver. And the prophet's saying, God's sending you into captivity. And there's five prophets giving the message that the king wants to hear and the one prophet of God who gets judged or thrown into jail for saying the bad things because the other quote-unquote prophets of God are giving good news. And this is something that is hard to do and then he goes, you are named after the house of Jacob. Is the spirit of the Lord straightened, short, vexed, tight? <laughs> you know, has God shortened his spirit? Oh, verse 7. Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, 7. You know, has, has God shortened his hand? Is he, is he not able to move? How many times do we get into this place where somehow we think God does not move? Especially in our day and age. I mean, we're so scientifically minded, supposedly, that all of a sudden we go, well, there's no God. There, he has no power. Yeah. And almost to the point where 
it's harder for God to move in these days because some people are so absolutely sure that he won't do miracles, including Christians. There are many Christians who will not pray for a miracle healing. I was just talking with somebody this morning that, that his boss had fallen off of a ladder, broke five or six ribs, punctured, a, punctured his lungs, severed a lung, bruised his liver and kidney, uh, was in a coma. People have been praying for him. He woke up and is in rehabilitation already. And there was like, how can this be? You know, this guy shouldn't even be, number one, shouldn't be alive. And with all the damages, it would be brain damage and all these other damages, and he seems to have no problems. That's a miracle. God's people prayed, and he got up and he's moved. Second half of verse 7 is, Do not my words do good to him that walks upright? So God's saying, don't my words heal? And you know, sometimes his words are hard to hear, but when we're obedient to them, they bring healing. Or if we're disobedient, they, they bring judgment and, and sorrow. But God is saying, I'm here, I'm ready to heal. It's wonderful because God's word is healing. His word is what changes our way of thinking. It's what changes everything about us. And it's very important, and this is why I'm very strong on get into God's word. Read his word daily, study his word, you know, listen to, you know, listen to teachers. Let his word change who you are, because this is what's going to change us. You know, we can sit there and try to do everything we can, and, uh, and it's, I'm not going to say you know, we don't want to try to do other programs, but God's word is what changes us. His word is what changes the way we think. We start meditating on his word, and we're back at the beginning. What do we meditate on in our beds? Well, if we're meditating on God's word, we get up the next day, and what do we act on? God's his word. word. We, we start thinking about his word and we start acting more like him every day because his word changes us. Romans uh, 12 says, be not conformed to, his, to, the, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We put God's word into it. We change the way we think. Just like on a computer word, world, we rewrite the code. <laughs> and God's saying, I want to rewrite the code from the sinful nature to the spiritual nature. And that transformed in, in Romans 12 literally means metamorphosis. And it is the idea of the caterpillar changing into a butterfly. If you've ever studied that transformation, it's kind of an amazing thing that the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, becomes a mushy substance, <laughs> and re-emerges as something that's totally different, totally unrecognizable from what went in. And that's what he's telling us. Be metamorphosed from this sinful fleshly being to a spiritual being. Now he doesn't do it in all of our life all at one moment, but he does it slowly. One area of our life at a time, and, or multiple areas, but slowly. And we get transformed. And we start behaving more like him. And again, not because we're the one trying to do all the work, but it's him that does the work. He changes us. He puts us into his word. He changes the way we think. The Holy Spirit gets in there and says, okay, let's, let's tweak your thinking a little bit. Let's, let's change who you are. Let's change how you think. And then we start looking back over our life and saying, wow, look how, how different I am today than I was. However far back you want to look. And the further back you look, you should see more, more change. And the more you're in God's word, you're going to see more change. And this is why it's important. His word prayer, spending time with him and his people, getting the way you think changed. 
because we are going to try to act sinfully because that's who we are. But God says, I want you to be more like me. And in, in uh, Corinthians, he says, from glory to glory, he's changing me. Okay? And that means he keeps improving us <laughs> and keeps improving us. And he takes areas that we think are pretty good and he makes those even better. <laughs> and he keeps working on this and changing us from glory to glory, from one high level to the next high level. And he keeps moving us along. And eventually, people start noticing the difference of you. And they'll have one of two choices. They'll stay away from you, <laughs> which usually happens anyway. When somebody first gets saved, you know, I've heard people go, well, I've got, you know, I'm worried that they'll drag me down. I'm going, if you're telling people about Jesus, they will stop coming around you. You're going to have trouble going, having to find people to go evangelize because they're going to want to stay away from you because they don't like the Spirit of God. When light shines in a, in a, in a dark place, the evil flees. It's just like shining a light on the place where roaches are at. You shine the light on it and the roaches run. You shine a light on a place where rats and mice are, they run. Well, when we bring the light of Christ into a situation, people with their sins try to hide. And they'll try to get away from us. And they'll pull away and, and get into their shells or totally get away from us. But it's this idea of God blessing. His words bless. Verse 8. Even of late, my people are risen up as an enemy. They pull off the robe of the garment of them that pass by securely as men adverse from war. The women of my people have you cast out from their pleasant houses, from their children. You have taken away my glory forever. So here we're starting to see the humiliation that happens to people. You know, and God's going to say, this is how the evil react. He says, of late my people have risen up as an enemy. And literally Micah at this point is talking about Israel as they're turning away from God. Okay, remember we talked about the time that, that Micah is prophesying is during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, Hez and Hezekiah. Jotham and Ahaz were evil kings. And during that time, the people were chasing after idols. And here he's saying, my people, you're acting like enemies. You're not, you're not following my rules. And it says, you're pulling off the robe, the garments. You're stripping off the garments of them that pass by securely. You know, and this is that idea of the attack of people. You know, the idea of the bandits hiding on the sides of the streets and attacking and stripping and, and taking the, everything that the people possess. And in those days, we've talked about how you didn't travel alone. You traveled in caravans. And the reason you traveled in a caravan was that you had protection. There was security in numbers. If, you know, there, if there were six of you or 20 of you or 30 of you, you were safer than one person because the bandits weren't going to attack a large crowd because a large crowd fight can fight back. Even if they're not fighters, they can, they can fight back, whereas one is very vulnerable. And he says, you're, you're acting that way. You, know, you're, you, my people, are acting that way. You're, you're attacking the righteous. We're seeing that even in our day and age, in our world, to be righteous makes you a target. If you have standards of God, you're now being told you know, that you're, you're old-fashioned or you're 
or you're bigoted, or you're you have the you know the adaphobia, you're homophobic, you're you're you know whatever it might be, you're afraid of some somebody's freedom, even though it's sin. <laughs> but because you want to say that it's sin and it's got and you're following God's standard, all of a sudden you're afraid of them or you're trying to keep them down. I go, no, this is what God says. And here we see they were attacking God's people, and He's saying, "You're you're my enemies." And it says, the women of my people you have cast from their pleasant houses and their children have you taken away my glory or his splendor forever, for a long duration of time. And the weak are always attacked. The weak are always attacked. And once evil is positioned strong enough, then the strong are also attacked. Because now the evil has the backing of the government and the law and whatever else. And we saw that in Jesus' day after the resurrection and the, Jew, and the Jews would persecute the believers for speaking in Jesus' name and send them to prison and beat them. And, and we see that. And the sad thing is we're starting to see this kind of stuff going on in our world. It hasn't come down to physical attacks yet, but it is working that direction. Right now, it's just, if you read any of the comments on any conservative or religious view, man, they go to town attacking Christians in, on the comment sections. And it's amazing when you look at these things, all that's going on out there and the attacks that are going on in this world that, that are attacking Christians for, our, for our, our views and our beliefs. And it's going to come around to physical. It's around the corner. Who knows how long, but it's going to come, even in America, because it's happening in the rest of the world. Right now, anywhere where ISIS is in control, Christians are being killed, and they're being slaughtered. And we need to pray for them because of how bad things are getting for them. But it won't be long until we start seeing it even in America. America has been blessed. We started out on the right foot for, for Christianity, but things are changing. And we're going to see more and more of those changes come in our way. And we want to be careful. We want to be ready. And when it happens, say, just as the, as the apostles did, thank God I'm worthy of suffer for Christ. Because God's got a plan. What that plan is, we don't know. But every time when people suffer, he is, he is lifted up. He is blessed. And we see this. You know, so when we have to face trials, we're going, okay, God, if my life is, can help somebody else come to you, then it's yours to take. And plenty of examples of this, you know, in the, in the scriptures and outside of the scriptures, plenty of examples of people, life being taken and then many souls coming to God because of that sacrifice. And the question is, how many, how many souls does it take if, I, if my life is the one that, is the one that brings them to him? What's it worth? And the idea is as many as God wants it to be. And so we look at this and he says in verse 10, Arise you and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and, and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto you of wine and strong drink, he shall even by that prophet of his people. And here he says, Arise and depart, for this is not your rest. What does that mean? That means this world is not the place where we should expect rest. 
Jesus is our rest. Heaven is our rest. And over and over in the New Testament it says, this is not our home. We're not to feel comfortable in this world. We're not to feel at rest in this world because basically we are in a battlefield in this world. And on the battlefield when a soldier thinks that they're at rest is usually when they get hurt. That's when they take their helmet off and, you know, near the front line and get a sniper bullet right between the eyes or in the head because they forget that they are in war. war. We are at war. We are not at home. We are in a foreign country where we shall never feel totally at, at rest. And here he is saying, don't, this is not our rest. Our rest is heaven. Our rest is in God. If we're going to be resting, it better be in God, not in anything going on in this world. Now, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy anything here. I mean, if we go visit someplace, there's enjoyable things to go visit, but that's not our home. And when we're visiting, it's not our home. But we're to rest in God and wait for heaven, because that's where our true rest is. And that's all, that's mostly, book of Hebrews is mostly about our, our rest, our rest. And the people of Israel coming into the promised land was a picture of our rest. We rest in Christ in the promised land. And here he's saying, this is not our home, basically, is what he's saying. This is not where we're to be resting, because it's not home. And especially he's talking about it as evil. What does it mean by rest? Define rest in this context. I rest in this context. This isn't like taking a nap. No, not, no, this isn't taking a rest. This is, if you go on a long vacation, let's say, or you've been away on work, and you've been traveling, and you've been, you've been sleeping every day, watch, maybe even watching TV, the same, you, maybe even doing the same things you might have been doing at home, other than you know, you're not at home. Like Which, my trip to California. Like your trip to California might be a good, you have a good time maybe, it's okay. But there's that sense that when you come back home, you can rest. Things are different. I am, I am home. And his whole idea on this rest is, I've come home. And, and that would probably be a good place to say, this is not our home. We can enjoy it. We can have things that are enjoyable. But this is not home. There's always that longing. And we as Christians do understand that to a degree. This is not my home. I'm waiting to go home. I mean, I'm not miserable, I'm not, you know, I'm enjoying this, I'm enjoying my time here, but it is not home. When we get to heaven, we're going to be home, and we'll know that we're home finally. There, there won't be sin, there won't be evil, there won't be darkness, our, our, our own bodies will be changed and glorified, and we'll be at perfect rest, we at peace. Here. We endure here until we go home. We endure here, but also we can have some fun. We can have some fun, but this is not our home, and we never totally feel at peace here. Well, doesn't God want us to enjoy life and have a good time? Yes, but it's not. But again, there's a longing that we should have that this is not home. And in Hebrews, it talks about Abraham did not look at this as being his home, even though he wandered around for all those years. It wasn't home. Does that mean he didn't enjoy life? It seemed like he enjoyed life. He had plenty. He had, he had all that he all he wanted. He was at peace, but he knew it wasn't home. Same thing for me. I fully enjoy my life that I live here, and I've told people, I go, 
you know, they go, what if you're wrong? My answer is, you know, I've not lost anything. I have been at, I have been at peace here. Now, does that mean I feel that this is my home? No, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm really looking forward to heaven, but I am enjoying this life. I am at peace here. God is in control, and I'm submitted to God doing what he wants. So I'm at peace here, but I also know that this is not home. And it's hard to describe on that, but like I said, the best thing is, the idea is, you go away on a long vacation or a long business trip, you look forward to that day when I get home, because now it's, this is my house, this is where I live. And our entire life actually is that kind of thing. We're not at home. We're looking forward to the day when I get to go home and say, ah, yes, this is, this is the place where I can just kick back and enjoy. And yes, he wants us to enjoy this, this world and this life and, and everything that's going on in it, but we're never to get so relaxed that we say we're at home because this world should always bother us. What goes on in this world should always be bothering us. And as we get closer to the end days, it should bother us even more. And I'm getting to that point where I'm being bothered by a lot of, you know, little things, you know, that just, they're uncomfortable. You know, the idea that I can't watch a new TV show practically at all because of all the homosexuality and sexualization of it and, and anti-God stuff, you know, bothers me. And then I go back to the older shows and realize they're not, they're not much better. They're not in your face, but they're not, they're not much better. You know, everything as I'm getting more and more sensitive to this, I'm realizing this isn't home. The entertainment world here is not, is not home. It's not, there's nothing good about it to, to rest in. And that's what he's talking about. Does that kind of make some sense? Uh -huh. So he's saying, this is not our rest. It's polluted. It's dirty. It makes us feel bad. It, it shall destroy us and it will give us a sore destruction. So he's saying, you know, this is where we want to rest. It's going to ruin us. And we can see this when somebody backslides. They, they've started resting in this world and ignoring God. Because you can't sit there and look at the soil, the pollution around you without giving up the purity. Uh, and we see this uh, in people who drink, let's say, city water with all the chlorine and fluorinated and you know, I've I've lived in some places where you pour the water into you know out of the tap and you put, go to drink it and it smells so bad. I mean, it's pure. You know, it's pure, but it's polluted at the same time. And you know, I love living in chloride. I, you know, uh, chloride in Kingman. I can actually drink the water from the tap if I wanted. I still filter it, but you know, I could drink the water from the tap and not feel like it's <laughs> totally polluted like some of these other places I've lived in that I couldn't drink the water. Couldn't, didn't some place, I lived in some places where I didn't want to take a shower because that hot water with the chlorination and everything made it just stunk. It felt like I was in the pool instead of yeah, in my shower. So that's what this verse is talking about, our rest. Heaven is our rest where nothing is polluted. Everything will be pure and spiritual. And that's what he's talking about here. And it says, if a man walking in the spirit and falsehood does lie, saying, I will prophesy unto you of wine and strong drink. He even shall be a prophet to this people. So, and this is the if, you know, somebody who, who's in their manner, is in the spirit of, and in, and, and in the spirit and false does lie, he's going to be their prophet. Okay, that's what he's saying. Uh, somebody who's like them prophesies to him. That's what I was talking about the kings where you'd have one prophet of God and he'd have five prophets telling him what he wanted to hear. And we see this a lot. 
we see this a lot that goes on when, when and especially in government where they, they just want to tell them what they want to hear rather than tell them the truth. And the person who tells them the truth depends on the individual. They might respect them or they might kind of ostracize them. You know, you, you'll never say, say something good about me. <laughs> and I can't remember which king it was. One of the kings in Israel was entertaining the king of Judah. And, and he goes, well, do you have any prophet of God? And he goes, yeah, but I don't like him. He never says anything good about me. <laughs> he says, well, let's call that guy. <laughs> um, but this is the way people are. They gather people around them that will tell them what they want to hear a lot of times. And that's a terrible way to, to run a business or run your life. You know, just tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me anything about what God wants. Don't tell me, you know. And this is why when you preach the gospel, a lot of times people go, well, I don't like that message, I don't, and I don't like you. And that's why, you know, when I shared that, there's, that I know at least one person, actually I know more than one like that in this town, you know, they won't come out and say they don't like me usually, but they don't feel comfortable with the message, so they don't come because the message is God's message and they're not ready to hear God's message. When they're ready to hear God's well, message, what do they want? if you're in the world, you want to hear things that are good and that's what he's talking about. You put prophets around you that want to that give you itchy, oh, tickle your ear, tickle your ears. And the New Testament says we put that they put they put teachers around them that tickle their ears, tell them what they want to hear. And that is not share what God says. And there is that problem. The flesh does not want to hear what the spirit needs to hear. And that's that battle that goes in amongst even all of us. You know, there's times when we don't want to hear what God, you know, and you've been there where you've sat in and listened to a, to a message you know, on the radio or read something in the Bible and you're going, I don't know, God, I don't like that message. You know it's true, but it's striking. But the truth hurts. The truth hurts sometimes and it strikes right at the heart of the issue. And you have to make a decision at that time. Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey my flesh and, and the world? And that's a time when we have to make a decision. Well, if you're not saved, it's even harder to hear that kind of message. And so sometimes people come into the church and they're not saved. They're not going to want to hear the message that, that hurts, their, hurts their flesh because they won't have a spirit to be edified by it because it's dead. And because when we get saved, God resurrects the spirit in us and makes it alive. And this is why people will say, well, I tried reading the Bible and I got nothing out of it. Well, the soul doesn't accept the word, word of God. The spirit does. We get saved and all of a sudden the spirit is, is quickened in us and a live spirit and we start reading the word and it's like, oh, this, the spirit is saying, give me more, give me more. The flesh is saying, get this away from me, get this away from me. And we have to make a decision. Who are we going to feed, the flesh or the spirit? We start feeding the spirit and the flesh gets weakened, weaker and weaker and weaker, crucified more and more. All we got to do is stop getting into God's word and it can go the other way. We start feeding the, the, the flesh and not the spirit. And we, we know when we see this because we see people, when people backslide and walk away from God, it, it's not just walking away from God, it's because they've got stopped for getting into God's word, they've stopped praying, they've stopped coming to church, and eventually they're out there doing whatever sins they did before. Why? Because it was a long process of switching back over and feeding the, feeding the, the flesh instead of the spirit. And we want to be careful of this. It's so easy to do. So easy to do. We kind of just slip away and, and then it's sometimes hard to come back. Sometimes we're embarrassed. Sometimes we just don't get, re we don't get reached or we're afraid that if we come back people are going to laugh at us or 
you know, or worse off, ask us where we've been, and then we have to start to kind of try to explain it. You know, and it's really easy to explain. You know, hey, I just got, I kind of went out on the wrong path. You don't need to go beyond that. You know, I just been going down the wrong path, and God got hold of me and brought me back. And that's all we have to do. And yet, people want to think, well, if I go back, I got to tell them all about why I, why I left. No, you don't have to tell them anything. You know, you don't have to tell them anything at all if you don't want to, or you could just make it simple. You know, I started going down the wrong path, and I got away from God a little bit. They don't need to know any details on what, what happened or what didn't happen. It's just, I've made some bad decisions. We are trichotomy. We have a spirit, soul, and body. The soul and the body, the body is the flesh and wants to sin all the time. The spirit wants to do good all the time. The soul will go whichever way we feed it. We want to be careful because what do we feed? And this is why I share with everybody, we need to be in God's word. We need to watch our, especially entertainment, because entertainment enters our brain in a whole different capacity because usually when we're being entertained we turn off the rational part of our thinking for most people and you just vegetate you know how many times have you sat in front of the TV for an hour or two and then wondered what it is you watched and you're going wow did I learn was any of this any good or what, what did what did I watch but we tend to do this you know we sit down on a movie and we just kind of vegetate for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, however long the movie is. And we gotta be very careful because those movies have an agenda that is being presented to us. And when we turn off our mental, rational side during that time, it's a good way for Satan to get a lot of messages in there that would not have gotten through if we were thinking about what we were doing. And this is one of the reasons that I cannot enjoy movies anymore because I usually do not sit back and just vegetate on a movie unless it's something that I know is clean. And that's after I've watched it at least once or twice. But very critical. What are we feeding on on our day-to-day -day basis? What am I meditating on? And again, it goes down to what music do I listen to? What shows do I watch? What, you know, what movies am I watching? What books am I reading? What magazines do I read? You know, why am I reading those? What am I getting that's positive? What am I getting that's negative out of all of this? And it's very important that we keep ourselves focused. And I would say even if you listen to Christian radio, there's a lot of songs on Christian radio that aren't very Christian. And some of them are downright false doctrine when they, when, on what they sing. They're beautiful songs, they're catchy. And you listen to the words and you're going, that doesn't match the Bible. So we want to be careful. And there are teachers out there on radio and TV that sometimes will go and teach wrong things. Even some of the pastors that I listen to a lot, every once in a while will teach something. I'm going, how did you come up with that? You know, how did you get that from that verse? You know, and it's like, you have to listen critical. You have to be a Berean. And we have to be careful. And again, this is not home. We have to stay on our guard all the time. Because if we're not on our guard, thoughts will get planted in our head that have nothing to do with God. And so we want to be able to analyze, am what I, is what I'm watching building up God or tearing God down? And I did this with my second oldest son because he's a movie buff. He watches movies all the time. And he used to have this list every third, every I think it was Tuesday when the movies, brand new movies came out at Walmart, he'd be at Walmart with his list of movies he wanted to buy. So 
I would sit down and watch movies, and at the end of the movie, I'm going, okay, what did we learn about this movie? What was good about this movie? What did, you know, what, what built us up and edified us? What, what was anti-God in this movie? You know, and to this day, I'm hoping that he hears my voice at the end of the movies asking these questions to him because I knew that he was going to fill his mind with all kinds of movies. So my goal was to get him to think while he's watching the movies and because it's important for us. You know? And I'm not saying stop watching all of the stuff you watch, but be aware of what you're watching. When something anti-God comes in there, note it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this, this show's got this lesbian couple or this homosexual couple. You know, no, we don't, I don't know that I want, you know, but at least be aware that you're being softened up to that mentality because you're seeing it so much. And it that's, becomes acceptable. It becomes acceptable. You've seen it so much, it becomes acceptable. So be thinking about what you're watching. Be thinking about what you're, what you're hearing and seeing. Think about, you know, be analytical and say, Okay, at least I know that I'm hearing bad stuff. Because the worst thing you want is to have all these bad thoughts planted in your head, and then all of a sudden, where do these things come from? You know, oh yeah, it was in the songs I listened to yesterday, and it was all about, you know, cheating on your on your your, your mate, you know, and and they're giving these thoughts, you know, I should, you know, or or if you're really into uh, country and western, at least in the old days, it used to be, you know, divorce, uh, drinking, <laughs> you know, losing your best friend or whatever else, you know. But you filled your mind with those thoughts all the time, and eventually they start coming out. And God is saying, be careful. It's time to end, but we're going to do the last two verses here. Verse 12. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of you. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bezrah, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. So God's saying, I'm going to gather the remnant. There's always a remnant. And we want to keep this in mind. God always has a remnant of people on his side. Okay? He told Elijah when Elijah said, I'm the only one that hasn't bowed his knees. And God says, no, you're not. I've got 500 that haven't bent my knees. Go, go do, you know, bent the knee. Go do what I told you to do. Okay? And oftentimes we feel like we're alone. There's always others. We may not know where they are. We may not be able to, but we're, we're not the last one. If we somehow failed or, or we died, God's got somebody else there to take our place. And this is important to always remember, especially if you start doing something for God and you start thinking, you're, well, I'm some, you know, look how special I am. I'm the only one serving God. God's going to go, no, if you were out of the way, I'd raise somebody else up. And you know, I feel privileged here that I'm bringing the, the scriptures to people but it could have been anybody that God raised up and to do it anyway so I'm happy that God's using me when he's done with me he'll set me aside and put somebody else here to continue but until then I want to be here as long as God's got a reason for me to be here I want to be here and I, I'm, I want to be like Paul he told the told the people he goes it would, I'm looking forward to heaven it's a better place to be but as long as you need me I'm willing to be here and I got that same feeling. You know, I'd just as soon be in heaven. It would be so much better to be in heaven. But as long as God's got something for me to do on this world, I'm going to do it. And I want to be busy. You know, I've told people I'd love to die teaching God's word. In the middle of a Bible study, you know, that would be the perfect way to die. I don't know about the people that I'm teaching so much, but... No, I would be a little bit concerned. <laughs> but to me, it would be the perfect place to die. <laughs> 
but I do understand that I don't want God really to do that because I know it would be disconcerting to the to the people, you know, that had their pastor know, pastor fall down in the middle of it. I'm a body donor, uh, organ donor, you know, and I, I tell them no. I don't want my organs being uh, dissected. I want my whole body. Yeah, I, they can be used. I want it to be used. Uh, the breaker has come up before them. They have broken up. They have passed through this gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them. The Lord is the head of them. The breaker is, some, is something that bursts out and breaks open. And it, basically, he's God saying, I'm calling my people to go together, and I'm going to break the opposition. And you know, ultimately, he's going to do that. He's taken us home. And he's our defender. And it's a great example, again, he's our defender. He gathers us together, and he's going to be the one that defends. And, and this word is as breaker, you know, that's violent. It's not, this is not a soft wind. And when God moves, he is violent. He is violent when he moves to defend us. And we want to keep that in mind. He is the one that wants to defend, and he is fully capable of defending. And when he moves, and like I've said before, when he moves, it's pretty harsh to watch him move. And I don't really want to see, I don't like to see him move in one sense because I've seen people's lives virtually destroyed because of their rebellion. Our loving God is what everybody thinks he's a loving, such a loving God, but don't make him angry. Well, he is a loving God, but he's also a righteous and just God. And he's not going to put up with sin forever. He is patient and he's loving, but when he decides to move, he moves, and we look at Noah's day. When he moved in Noah's day, Noah preached for 120 years saying, repent, repent, repent. And any of those people who repented could have gotten in the ark with Noah and the animals. But they all just laughed at him and rejected his message. And God sent the destruction and destroyed the entire world. He sent the destruction into Canaan, and the instructions were to destroy everything. Now, they weren't always so obedient with it, but... God said to destroy everything. The future destruction of this world will be to destroy everything. And anybody who has rejected him will be to hell. When God moves, you don't want to be on the wrong side because he, is, he will win. And, and as you said, most people want to concentrate on, well, he's a God of love. And that's how they try to feel like, and that's why they justify, well, he's a God of love, you know, I, I'm doing more good than bad, or I'm better than a lot of people, so he'll accept me. No, he's a righteous and just God, and he will say his standard is perfection. You have to be 100% perfect or you're not going to be accepted by him. And the only way to be 100% perfect in his eyes is to be clothed in Jesus Christ. And people have to understand that. As long as I truly believe in my core belief, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and died for my sins. I'm pretty set, alright? You're set. Okay. As long as, you're, as long as your belief is true belief, then yes. Uh, you know, because Jesus said many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they go, didn't I? Basically, they're saying, look at all the good works I did. And he'll say, depart from me. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Even though your works were good, I never knew you. And unfortunately, and I've been around the church long enough to know that this is true, there's a lot of people who haven't followed God completely, that, are, that haven't made a true decision for him. And this is a sad place to be, but it is what, it, what they do. And you'll see many people get saved in their 60s or 70s and all of a sudden realize, well, hey, I've been in church all my life, but I don't, I don't know God. And you will know if you know God or not. A relationship with God is what it's all about. And he brings us into relationship with him.
And if you can be happy doing things that are sinful without being feeling uh, that that conviction of the Holy Spirit, then you really got a problem to have to deal with. But if you're, you know, God disciplines his children. If you do wrong and you get disciplined, and God disciplines, and that's something to be very understanding about. God will discipline his children. Plain and simple, will. And if you can sin without without the conviction that you're wrong or that something's wrong, then you've got a problem. If you can sin and say, yeah, it's no big deal, and you don't ever feel like you're being convicted, you're not one of his children. And uh, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time of study. We ask you to go with us as we go about this day and help us to to see what you would want us to see and, and help us to know who we are with you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.